When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello, and welcome to Awesome Etiquette, where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we tackle your etiquette questions about dogs on vacations, backing out of a group weekend, sharing costs, gift cards and thank you replies, and a plus one wedding gift expectation. Plus, your most excellent feedback, etiquette salutes for the week, and a postscript segment on the beauty of truth by Emily Post. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of Vermont Public Radio and is proud to be produced in Burlington, Vermont by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Cindy Post-Senning. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. And yes, you heard that correctly. I am here with my mother. Welcome to the show, or welcome back to the show, I should say, Cindy Post-Senning. Thanks. It's my pleasure to be here. I look forward to spending another hour with you on Awesome Etiquette. This being an etiquette show, I will thank you again for being here. Lizzie Post is away on vacation this week, a a much-needed vacation. She has been remarkable in holding down the fort when I have been away on honeymoons and paternity leaves, and it is her turn to get a little much-needed R&R, and she is away enjoying that time, and we're doing our absolute level best to not draw her back into the family web that is the Emily Post Institute, but it's really, really nice to have family that we we can turn to when these opportunities arise for Lizzie and myself. It's great. And it's really been fun for us. Two of my three brothers have shared this experience with me. Um, Bill's been on the show and Peter's been on the show. And I enjoy thoroughly being on the show with you and Lizzie. So there's one more fourth generation post. There is. I think we need to get her here at some point. (laughs) That would be Peggy. And Peggy's married to my third brother, Alan. And Peggy actually worked with Peter and me for many, many, many years um, as we grew and built and expanded the Emily Post Institute and added the fifth generation. And uh, Peggy would be a great, a great co-host on this show. She was a remarkable steward for this tradition and in some ways has avoided these particular microphones because she lives down in Florida. And we obviously produce this show in Burlington, Vermont. And I'm I'm reminded of that because everyone's away right now. And Peggy is usually away, but we'll have to seize an opportunity when she's here and get her here as well. I agree. There's something else I really want to share with our audience, with all of you today, and that is that I I got to enjoy a very unique and singular experience today. I I mentioned that I am often away and Lizzie is often holding down the fort here. And one of the roles that she plays at the Emily Post Institute is she womans the awesome etiquette inbox in our mail system. So Lizzie Post sees all of your etiquette salutes, your comments, your feedback, and your etiquette questions. And oftentimes when I'm sitting here with her at the start of a show, she talks to me about how that feeds her 
how much she gets from being the point of contact for this show, that she is continually inspired by people's good nature, (laughs) by their impulses to want to do well, to be good at what they do, to be better people, to to find the the right thing to do for the sake of people around them, for, for all of us to behave in considerate, respectful, and honest ways. And that has absolutely been my experience as I've seen that inbox. As I've looked into it and, and, and looked for the material that turned into today's show, I found myself really inspired and really impressed by all of you. So, Thank you, I want to say at the start of today's show, for everything that you do. I I am firmly in my cousin Lizzie's camp where I really felt like I was sustained and supported by all of you, even just through your communication to this show. So speaking of this show and some of the material that we have to tackle today, shall we get to some questions? I think that's a good idea. It really is your questions that make this show work. You can send us that next excellent question to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or you can leave us a voicemail at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter or Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so that we know you want your question on the show. Let's start with a a letter that we received that's really fun for us because I think uh, Dan is the exact right person to be responding to it. So why don't I start and read the letter, Dan, and then you can take it from there. Sounds good. We title this one, To Dog or Not to Dog. Dear Lizzie and Dan, I have a question regarding an upcoming trip we have planned with both my family and my husband's family. We have rented a cabin for a week and will be hosting my family for the first half and then my in-laws for the second half of the week. We have a dog that we are planning to bring with us. However, my in-laws are not dog people. There are no allergies or phobias associated with dogs. They simply are not big on animals in general. My family loves our dog and would miss him if he did not come. Am I obligated to find a house or pet sitter for the week to accommodate my in-laws? We are paying for the cabin and for a good portion of the food, and having an added cost of a pet sitter would be a strain on our finances. It's not practical for us to drive home midweek to have a pet sitter for just the time my in-laws will be with us. What is the best way to handle this? Thank you for always having helpful answers. Sincerely, to dog or not to dog. Okay, so I see why you said I would be a good person to answer this because I just did this. <laughs> right. Uh, I know. <laughs> as, as our audience knows, I, I spent the last two weeks running back and forth from Martha's Vineyard where Pooja had stayed for two weeks hosting her immediate family for the first week and then was joined by you. Actually, you were play, maybe playing more of the hosting role for the <laughs> second week. But we had a two-week stay down in Martha's Vineyard and our little dog, Raju, was an open question. And he spent the first week down there with us and then the second week back at home. And there were two very different sets of considerations. Pooja's father, who often takes care of Raju when we're away, was there with us that first week and was amazing. He sets his watch by the walks that he takes Raju on. (laughs) And um, the second week when you and I were down there with Pooja, we were also with my brother, your son Will, and his family, his two little girls, one and three-ish. And the level of chaos just went up exponentially and adding a little – often badly behaved toy poodle to that mix felt like a lot. So I actually 
uh, ported him home during one of those trips home and found a dog sitter. So this is a question that, that clearly resonates with me. And now that I've overshared about my personal experiences, what's your thinking on this question? This question just sort of brought to mind for me the very basis of etiquette, the way we like to talk about etiquette, those three principles that we mention all the time. And I think that the core principle associated with this question is really consideration. And I think that the person writing the letter really needs to be thinking about a consideration particularly for her – is it her in-laws that mm-hmm. are not dog people necessarily? Some consideration for them about what, how to manage the dog throughout the time that they are there visiting. I think that it behooves her to – be very considerate of her in-laws in the way she would manage the care of the dog if they kept the dog there for the whole week. It sounds like they can't do what you did, Dan, in transferring the dog mid-vacation time. It just doesn't seem practical in this situation. It really doesn't. And it sounds like her family would enjoy being there with the dog and that if she really took care of the dog, managed its feeding, managed its walks, any little messes the dog might make and so forth, and not rely on her in-laws to do any care of the dog, she probably could handle this quite well. I agree. There isn't really a hard and fast rule here. So you do have some latitude. And with that latitude, I think that the practical considerations definitely come into play. I also think that the the role of hosting is important here, that because right. you're paying in this situation, you actually have a little more latitude to make a choice. You're You're not checking in or asking your host about whether or not you can do this. You're thinking more about how you're going to manage what's practical for you. And I think balancing some of those considerations like the cost of kenneling that dog or finding a house sitter or pet sitter against just your ability to both do that and pay for the place, starts. it starts to be valid to make that choice. And if you do make it, that consideration becomes really important. And the, the choice to take to the dog on means that you're going to spend some of your time dealing with the dog. If you do put the dog up with a pet sitter or, or leave the dog at home in some way or other, in some ways it frees you up to enjoy that time with your in-laws just a little bit more because you're not having to worry about the dog. So another consideration to think about. Which was absolutely the choice Pooj and I found ourselves making that second week. In fact, she turned to me at one point and said, is there any way you could take Raju home with you? Is there right. any way you could do She started, I think I could feel her, the, the gears turning in her mind and she was... Yeah thinking about what her days were going to be like taking care of Anisha and Roger. Roger without that added support that her father provided. Right. The only addition that I would add to that advice is that I would add a dose of, of communication mm-hmm. and I would think about really prepping my in-laws ahead of time. And maybe right. that communication happens through your husband. Um, mm-hmm. But I think that the, the sooner you let people know that you were thinking about them when yep. you made this choice and you're going to do your best to minimize that impact. And that, that might be important to deliver. It might not be. It right. might be a really soft delivery. It might be more of a discussion. You mentioned that they're not allergic or phobic. So I don't think it needs to be a fraught or difficult discussion, but just an ounce of prevention being worth a pound of cure. I often say things that my mother taught me on this show, and that's something I learned from my mother. There you go. Might be worth it in this case. There you go. So we certainly hope that that is enough information to get you along and that you have a wonderful, wonderful time with both your family and your in-laws. Well, here's something. You're not a bad doggy, Penny. But I guess we weren't nice to you, were we? We love you, Penny. We always will. Awesome etiquette gets support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, 
Mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. StoryWorth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our next question is about roughing it. Hi, Lizzie and Dan, and I'm going to editorialize and Cindy. Several months ago, some friends invited us and several other couples to spend the weekend with them at their family cabin in the mountains. After a lot of logistics, we finally decided on a date, which is set for next weekend. Today, one week from the day we are supposed to travel out there, we learned that there is no electricity at the cabin. If I had known this at the outset, I most likely would not have accepted the invitation, especially not during humid summer weather. Is there a way that we can back out of spending the weekend in these conditions? Or are we bound to attend and make the best of it? If it makes a difference, there ended up only being one other couple able to come, so if we backed out, they would be the only remaining guests. They also just learned about the lack of electricity and could be in a similar situation to us. Any help you can provide would be appreciated. Whoa. (laughs) Tough one. That is a tough one. That's a tough one because it really brings up sort of two etiquette points that are contradictory in a way. First off, of course, there is always the fact that they have accepted an invitation. And once you've accepted an invitation, you don't back out. The basic etiquette rule is you don't back out. However, there's a second etiquette rule which needs to be considered here, and that is that the host in making that invitation needs to be pretty clear and explicit about what this invitation is all about. So here we have a host who's not doing their invitation in a way that would be helpful in making your decision and your situation of how do I or can I even back out. I think when Dan and I talked about this letter a little bit beforehand, we talked about the issue 
that the host making the invitation, maybe in a way that wasn't clear about what was to be expected or what was going on, may be a breach of etiquette, of an etiquette rule in a sense. But to back out, which would be a breach of a rule, sort of gets us into that position of two breakdowns don't make a good situation. You, you, You know, people often ask us, you know, if someone's rude to me, should I be rude back? And I always say, you know, two rudes don't make a right. And I think we have to consider that in this particular response. Most people have experienced something like this, mm-hmm. where something sounds great at first, yeah. and there's a certain enthusiasm that comes with being invited, and I think it's not uncommon for after that initial enthusiasm and sometimes the acceptance that comes along with it for more information to be forthcoming, for conditions right. to change, and for that enthusiasm to wane just a little bit. And I, I think it is why that original rule of honoring our commitments and sticking with things that we've said that we're going to do is important. And at the same time, there is that reality, that practical concern of how do you acknowledge the changing conditions or the new information? And I think there's a little bit of latitude. We've got a little bit of a gap that we've created here because that invitation wasn't done in a way that was really explicit and clear. And you want to keep in mind that first concept that you should be sticking with your commitments. And if you do decide to break them because you do have that little bit of a gap that's emerging, that you do it in a way that show some awareness of that breach that that is also maybe going to happen. And perhaps some consideration for that third couple who may wind up you know, if you haven't had some communication with them, you kind of could end up putting yourself in an awkward position with them as well as with your host. So you certainly need to think these things through. I find myself with two paths mm-hmm. that sure. I think of when I start to think about the advice I'd give here. My first piece of advice is built on the idea that oftentimes the simplest thing is the right choice. And I say go if you can. You've said you're going to go. It's a bit of a change to know there's electricity or not, but maybe with even a week of forewarning, you can change your expectations just a little bit and still go and still enjoy yourself. Make the best of it. Bring a book, a deck of cards, a fan, a cooling washcloth that you can apply I to like yourself. That. I like that. Um, Maybe you'll even enjoy being without electricity for a few days. You might. Who knows? (laughs) (laughs) You might struggle or suffer through it a little bit. It might be a bonding experience. When I was living in a little cabin, I had guests up, and I think it was a more rustic experience in the middle of the winter (laughs) than they expected. And I really appreciated their good nature, sort of getting through that weekend. Um, I wish I'd given them more warning ahead of time. Mm -hmm. But I, I, I can understand being on the other side of this. There's also a great, great story I have to share from... One of the original Emily Post etiquette books, and I, I couldn't remember exactly which one, so I couldn't source it for you. But it's a story about Emily staying at a country house. We might have even read it on this show. And she imagines herself, I think, excusing herself on the Saturday to go into town to send herself a telegram <laughs> as if someone from the city was reaching out to her so she could leave, um, which wouldn't necessarily be great etiquette. I don't recommend it. There's a certain hint of dishonesty <laughs> to that. But it, it illustrates that this is not an uncommon situation. Something that's been around for at least 100 years. The second path of advice, if you're not going to go and make the best of it and get your game face on and enjoy yourself, is I wanted to remind everyone out there that you're never obligated to do something that you really don't want to do. You can back out. People do, especially when situations change or new information emerges. And again, just the, the thinking here is that if you do go this route, be prepared to talk to the person about it. Communicate clearly and as soon as possible. You want to let them know so that they can proceed accordingly. And I like your idea of thinking about a way to include that other couple 
in that communication. I think you really just connect with those people, with the host, and you say to them, you really would like to talk about the upcoming vacation that you've planned together. And you can just say, you know, I really hadn't realized that there wouldn't be electricity. I think that's going to be quite uncomfortable for me. I recognize that people do that all the time, but I'm just really feeling some anxiety about it and think it might be better if we planned a different vacation together in the next couple of weeks uh, to do something where there is electricity. I like that you're willing to talk about your reasons to explain yourself. Some understanding is expressed about the fact that there is a change going on. You apologize for that. Um, But you're also owning your own feelings. I have some anxiety about this. I'm nervous about this. I'm worried that I'm not going to be comfortable. I'm not going to enjoy myself. I'm also reminded in hearing you talk that you have to be prepared for that other person maybe to not be so excited to hear it. That just because you're explaining well doesn't mean the other person's going to be easy in their acceptance of that. And your willingness to be present with that is also important. Probably the most important thing that came up early at the tail end as I was thinking this through was the issue of including a plan to do something together the next time. That way, they don't think it's that you just don't want to be with them for the week and you're making an excuse about the electricity. But you want to be clear. And if you have something specific, so much the better. Well, we're kind of roughing it our way through this answer, (laughs) but I think that's a pretty decent place to leave it. I like the sample script. I like that thinking. And I really hope that whichever way you decide to go, whether you're going to go and make the best of it or whether you're going to let them know as soon as possible that you're not going to be able to make it, that things work out all right. And this isn't an impediment to the relationship moving forward. Great. So why don't we go ahead and listen to the letter we received from 40? My etiquette question centers around a 40th birthday party that my husband and I want to host. We would like to spend a long weekend in Mexico with friends, and we would like to pay for some of the trip and events for those that want to come. Right now, we have 10 rooms booked for a weekend in October, but we're struggling with how to invite our friends. Unfortunately, we cannot afford to pay for the whole trip for everyone, but we would like to subsidize some of it and host a dinner or a sailing trip while everyone is there. The resort is all-inclusive, so the price is an all-in cost. So do we invite our friends and say we are hosting them and the reduced cost for the weekend is $600? Or do we say we negotiated a lower rate and if they would like to attend, the cost is $600? Or is there another way to politely explain what we want to do? The other issue is that I'm not sure the hotel can accommodate our request to let us pay some amount on each room, which means our friends may need to pay us directly for the cost of the room. How do we explain that and go about collecting money? I fret over the etiquette of this entire weekend so much, I'm thinking of just not paying for any rooms at all for fear of offending someone. Hopefully, you can help us figure out the perfect way to explain all of this. Thanks, Megan. 40th birthday, you say? That's what she says. Uh, My hand is in the air, and since this seems to be the show where I'm sharing a lot of very personal information, I will share that I am rapidly approaching my 40th birthday and really (laughs) appreciate the effort that is being put into honoring this important milestone in someone's life. The celebration. New decade, the celebration. So really bravo to you for thinking about how to make this day so special. I, I appreciate that impulse. 
I also think that you have really identified the, the, the etiquette crux here, which is the question around the idea of hosting or not. Are you hosting this weekend gathering or aren't you? And really the expectation is that the host is going to pay. It's going to cover someone else's expenses, whether that's for a dinner or for a vacation that you've invited someone on. And I think that the question that you ask about the particular language that would, you would use when inviting, do you say that you're hosting them? Or do you say something more along the lines of we negotiated a lower rate and if you would like to attend the cost is 600? Absolutely, that's second language, which is already starting to, to be a bit of a sample script I think is the way to go if you decide to do this. You want to be really careful that you're not particularly using that language of hosting because it establishes you in that role where the expectation is that you are going to be picking up the vast majority of the expenses. And that's absolutely an expectation you want to steer clear of here. Right. And I think that if you really want to stick with that word hosting, you may want to think about hosting uh, a smaller group, just one or two couples that you would be bringing and not try and get into hosting for 10 other rooms, 10 other couples potentially. That hosting terminology really does set you up. This is a tough question. Yeah. There's a, there are a lot of ins and outs here. It's a yeah. complicated question. Yeah. And I definitely also want to in the spirit of offering a couple of options, want to give you permission to really simplify this situation. To think of if you want to do a trip, doing it just the two of you. Or like my mother said, just think of one or two other couples where maybe you could absorb more of the cost or where all of the communication issues are going to be easier to manage. Um, right. I know from up here in Vermont, a visit to Mexico is a big trip. <laughs> it's a big commitment in terms of time, resources, just personal energy and effort. Organizing and coordinating vacations together takes a lot of work. It's a lot of effort, even when everyone is really committed and there's a lot of buy-in. Way beyond just the expense. So having some awareness of that in your mind also might make it easier to be accepting of the idea that maybe not everyone's going to be able to go. And you might be able to open up this discussion about absorbing some of the costs in a way that's really more about just feeling people out a little bit. You might open up the conversation by telling people that you're thinking about it and wondering if they'd be interested. So before you even get to that inviting stage, you're really testing the water and seeing how, how much interest is out there. So your invitation can actually include even some hosting language in a sense. You could say, we're planning to go to Mexico for whatever number of days for Dan's 40th birthday. And we've managed to book some rooms and get a group rate. So if you're interested in joining us, this is the number you would call to book a room to join us. But we also would like you to know that we're going to host a special birthday celebration dinner on the Saturday night of the weekend or whatever. And we certainly hope you would join us for that. And there the implication is clear that you're paying for that dinner and that's what you're doing, but that they're paying for their room and setting up their own rooms. I like using that hosting language. I heard you mention it earlier, mm -hmm. but to, to, to leverage that language to really build the expectation appropriately. Right. The only other thing I would say is if you know that they aren't going to be able to book and get that discount through the hotel, that you make the invitation and say, folks, are, are, please, please let me know if you're interested in coming and I can help coordinate. 
Uh-huh. And then maybe the, the, the particular discussion about the exchange of money happens one-on-one later on. It's not built into that invitation, but it's part of the exchange that happens afterwards that follows the RSVP. Right. I want to take us out on this question by once again saying, rah, rah, well done. Way to think about how to honor that big four <laughs> O nudge, nudge, hint, hint, wink, wink to all the important people in my life. Um, I really hope that it's a smashing success, however it works out. A party calls for teamwork. Why, nobody will have any fun unless everyone joins in. So join in wholeheartedly in any game suggested, and you'll all have a lot more fun. Our next question is titled, Thank You for Remembering. I recently received a birthday card from my grandparents. I'll admit I've never been as close to them as I'd like, but I always appreciate how they think of me on my birthday and Christmas. Is there an expectation that one send a thank you card in response to a greeting card? It's likely that I will send them whether it's expected or not, since it never hurts, but I was curious what the general guideline is in this situation. Sincerely, Lisa from the Northwest. Well, hello, Lisa from the Northwest, and I think you are right on track. Our etiquette advice to you is straightforward, that a card does not require a letter or a note or a card in response. (laughs) However, I think the way you put it was it never hurts. It never hurts. And in fact, it's sometimes a great thing. Think how excited you are when you get that card in the mail. And there in handwriting, not in some computerized printout, you see this piece of mail has arrived and how exciting it is to get that. A note back to your grandparents is going to get the same response from them. How great it is to get a piece of personal mail and what a nice connection for you with your grandparents. Uh, I think it's a great idea to send them a note, and that's what I would advise you to do. We often on this show talk about approaching etiquette through the lens of opportunity, not obligation. It's not just about hitting your bare minimums that while it's not required that you respond, the idea that you would be inspired to respond really is delightful. And one of the things that I love about this question is that it's reminding me that the little courtesies really do work to keep us connected. That relative, that grandparent who is maybe further away or with whom you have a relationship that's a little more distant, making that effort to send that card can be enough just to inspire that feeling of connection. And over time, making that effort really does develop relationships and sustain relationships in important and significant ways, even though something like a greeting card can feel like it's a small thing. It really does over over time and even in particular instances work. And that's really nice. So why not reply? Why not let that develop in you the idea that you want to... Right. You say the words, I always appreciate how they think of me. I mean, that's just classic. That's so lovely. I want to even expand the advice a little bit and say you have other options. There's a point of etiquette that says in today's communication-rich environment, you take a look at the medium that a message arrives in to think about how you're going to respond. So you RSVP to an email reply with an email. That if someone sends you a card or a handwritten note, I love the idea of replying with a card or handwritten note. Let that medium start to set the tone for the interaction. You can also pick up the phone and call. You could also put a reminder in your calendar. We have these great devices that so many of us carry around that says this is their favorite holiday. I'm going to put a little reminder in a week ahead to send a card their way next time. Our cards are going to cross in the mail the next time this happens. Or I'm going to find out what their birthday is and I'm going to send them a card on their birthday. So that inspiration can work in a couple different ways, but definitely let it work on you. I would agree with that 100%. 
So, moving on to the next letter, let me start with one that we've titled, Vermonters Go Big. The letter starts, Hi, Lizzie and Dan, and I'll add myself and Cindy. I want to thank you for your excellent podcast. It's nice to know that all those little etiquettes my mom taught me as a kid, like writing thank you notes, are still useful, relevant, and important. I'm a graduate student studying microbiology, and I spend a lot of time using a microscope alone in an out-of-the-way room. Your podcast is one of my favorites in a collection that keeps me company and gives me something to listen to during these long work sessions. I have a question for you regarding plus one wedding etiquette. I have been invited to a wedding this summer as the plus one of my boyfriend. The couple getting married are friends of his, but I don't know them very well. What are the expectations of me in this situation, specifically in terms of a gift? Am I expected to give them a wedding gift from just myself? Should my boyfriend and I give a joint gift? Or is only he expected to give something? I've heard that a guideline for wedding gift giving is that the cost of the gift should reflect the price of the meal. Is this true? And if so, should our joint gift reflect the cost of two plates? Am I even obligated as a plus one who doesn't know the couple to give a wedding gift? Are there any other etiquette? I should be aware of as a person in this situation. Many thanks and best wishes to both of you. Kirsten from Gulf, Canada. Kirsten, thank you for your question and your kind thoughts. Uh, Being a student of microbiology, sitting here with my mother, I um, really appreciate getting a little context for the question. (laughs) And it's actually really two questions that I see going on here. One is about the the recommended cost or expense of a wedding gift, and two, whether a plus one is expected to give a gift, which I think is a nice little twist on what is really a classic etiquette question. The The other thing I have to mention is that there was a study that came out just this last week that looked at the average amount of a cash gift given for weddings in different states. And I've received four Uh, calls from media who are sourcing stories. This survey inspired a lot of interest in the media, and people have really been wondering about this question. Mm -hmm. Just very recently, even this summer, this wedding season, about what is the recommended amount to give? And we called this question Vermonters Go Big because I noticed that Vermont was actually at the top of this lift for the the largest average cash gift. So a little nod to very generous Vermonters out there. But it's a question that's in people's minds, so I thought we would revisit this etiquette classic and the twist. We uh, get asked this about gift giving in all sorts of situations, whether it's a wedding gift, a holiday gift, a birthday gift, whatever. And our response is always that what you do when you're thinking about what gift you give is you think about the people you're giving it to and what they might like. And you stick within whatever your budget is. The amount of the meal at the wedding really has no um, impact on what your decision for gift giving is. You have to decide what you can afford. It's a really common misconception. It's an idea that was out there because I think there's a very natural impulse to want to have some idea, some framework. What's expected of me? I don't want to give a lot less than everybody else. I don't want to give a lot more than everybody else. I don't want to appear like I'm you, holding back. You mentioned it as an urban legend that you have to that the wedding gift has to equal the cost of the meal or something. But really, that's um that, that sort of tit for tat thinking. Yeah. Yeah. I think is is not helpful and for all the reasons that you mentioned. And I also think that you don't want to be comparing yourself and your gift to the people around you. It's exactly. not about that. 
either. It really is about you and the relationship with this person or this couple in this case that, that really is the, the thought behind the gift that makes it special, the oldest cliche in the book. Right. And what you can afford. And those hard realities, those yeah. those practical yeah. considerations that are so important for any good etiquette. So think about what you can afford. Think about that person. And another question that comes up around this is would you ever give a handmade gift? Absolutely. You sure. can do something that's, that's quite personal. Right. There are all kinds of ways that you can go um, that can make a gift special that don't have anything to do with the cost. The key thing is that actually in weddings, this is the one time that there really is an expectation that you will give a gift if you're the person invited to the wedding, which would bring us to the part two of this particular question, and that's the issue of the plus one. Dan, you were just taking a look at some of the things that Peggy, who we mentioned earlier, has had to say about plus ones and gift giving. Well, Peggy makes the point in in an article that she participated in years ago that really in a lot of ways the onus here is on the person who's named on the invitation, the person for whom you are the plus one. And there are a couple of points of etiquette there. They're the person that's named on the invitation. Really, they're the one for who the expectation of the gift is the strongest. Right. And they really should be thinking about a gift. And part of their thinking about that gift is whether or not they want to include you as a plus one when they give it. And that's either to invite you to think about it with them, to go in on it with them, to include you on the card that they give when they give that gift. That um, Note out there to all of you wedding guests who are going to be bringing plus ones, that that's part of the etiquette expectation around being the the host for your plus one is that you think about how you want to include them when you give the wedding gift, if you do, and that you do it well and in a way that they understand and can feel good about. Now, as the plus one, if this conversation has not happened, (laughs) if your host hasn't brought it up, one of my initial thoughts had been that you might ask, you might say, oh, you know, do we do we want to do this together? And but part of me also starts to wonder, it depends on how well you know the person, that you might not want to, to open up this territory if they haven't asked about it or if they aren't thinking about it. It might start to call into question how well they've done their role or whether or not they even want to. If they've decided to give a gift and that they're just going to be giving it and they're not going to include you. Do you want to force them to tell you that? Right. It's right on the edge. It's iffy territory. As a plus one, as someone who's not named on the invitation, I don't think that there is an expectation that you give a gift, but I would take it strongly into consideration. If you haven't had that discussion, if the person that's bringing you hasn't brought it up, I would think about bringing a little something. My mother and I were talking about, you know, if you come from Vermont, it's so easy to to get a little jar of maple syrup <laughs> and to make a little card that says, so glad to be included on your special day. Thank you so much, Dan. Um, it, it really is a relatively small threshold to cross. And I think it's worth honoring that feeling, that question in your own mind and just covering your bases, covering your minimums. There's often a very minimally expensive item on a registry. Yep. You could that might be a way. You might be able to ask your host if there's a registry that you could look at that yep. you'd love to give a little something. Right. And then you're taking the responsibility on yourself and that might open up the discussion. That that might inspire them to say, Oh no, no, I'm giving this, let's put your name on the card or oh right. maybe we could present that together. 
You could do that. When we talked about the card, the birthday card from the grandparents, that there isn't an etiquette requirement that you send a response card to that. And we were saying, you can take that extra step. You can go the extra mile, do the little extra thing. Well, the same thing is true here. There is not an expectation or a requirement that you as the plus one give a gift at a wedding. It is the person that you're the plus one with, your personal host, who that expectation is really on in terms of gift giving. But the little extra a jar of maple syrup certainly can't hurt and may in some ways enhance some relationships that may be coming down the road in the future. Or maybe not. It doesn't matter. It just would be a nice gift for that moment. It is a special thing to be invited to a wedding. And whether you know the couple or not, just being a part of that special day might be enough to inspire you to want to participate in that particular way as a guest. The final thought that I'll leave you with is that sometimes also it's the relationship with that boyfriend (laughs) that you're really (laughs) wanting to honor as much as your relationship with the couple that's invited him to the wedding. That – Um, Sometimes being a plus one is just about being a good companion for the night. Sometimes people bring friends. Sometimes it's the beginnings of introductions to a larger family. And there there might be some consideration there that if if the relationship with the boyfriend is one that's really significant or important to you, that you might decide to – to up your etiquette game. And instead of just hitting your minimums, you might say, you know, I really want to be sure that I do this. And, And then you can. I agree. So many thanks, Kirsten, for your question. And we hope this helps and that you have a wonderful time at the wedding with your plus one person. And I also hope that we continue to be good company as you work away in that lab. And whenever we go to any more parties, we'll remember to be clean and neat and to be on time. And we'll be considerate of others, too. We'll join in the games. Thank you so much for your questions, whether we got to them on today's show or not. Please send your next question, update, or comment to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Or you could leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or hit us up on Twitter and Facebook. Just use the hashtag awesomeetiquette so we know you want your question on the show. Each week, we like to hear your thoughts about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Our first piece of feedback today comes from the person sitting across from me. My mother had something to say about a piece of advice that was offered on this show and expressed to me that she was thinking about sending in her thoughts. Well, now she's here herself, so she doesn't need to type them up and send them in. Mother dearest, please, I'm curious. I was listening to Lizzie and my brother Bill talk about a response to a question that had come in on podcast number 134 about potluck suppers and whether or not a person should be asking people to pay for ingredients rather than bring the ingredients. They then on podcast 140 were responding and I – didn't take issue with their response, but I wanted to add something. They wound up talking about a very common way of hosting a dinner at your home or at a friend's home, a group of friends who even come together on a regular basis, and whether or not the person at whose home it was was actually the host. And their advice was that that person is really responsible for the main piece of the meal, whether it was meat, they're going to cook a steak on the grill or hamburgers on the grill, or if it's a holiday meal, maybe cook the roast. And then 
their role really should be to kind of help organize the rest of the dinner. They might call the various people who are coming and say, would you bring a vegetable and maybe you could bring the potatoes and everybody else is dealing with the extras. Will you bring the dessert? And they kind of set it up that way. They were referring to that as a potluck supper. And my response was, that is not a potluck supper. Potluck is potluck. And everyone that I've ever been to, nobody directs you what you bring. You may wind up with 10 salads. My statistician husband says, statistics will tell you that you're never going to get 10 salads, that you will get maybe eight and two something else. So in any way, a potluck supper is just that. It's potluck and people bring whatever they want. I'm a member of a book club that meets regularly once a month, and it is a potluck supper. And we never know what anybody else is bringing, and we just bring it. And occasionally, we have all desserts. That's not bad. So anyway, that's a potluck supper. And I just wanted to be clear. We also, as a family, do the kind of thing where we share who brings what, and we talk about how it's organized, and there are different ways it can be organized. I loved it. You had this personal experience, this book club you've been part of for how many years? Oh, my gosh, for 12 years, I think. And and that And that is a true potluck supper. And we even laugh about it being potluck, and that's what it is. Even church dinners that they sometimes think of as potlucks aren't. They're really dip suppers, and the church organizes that they want this many vegetables, this many potatoes, this many meats, da-da-da, and people pay, and those are called dip suppers, dime a dip, quarter a dip, a dollar a dip, whatever it is in this day and age. But potluck is just that, potluck. Thank you for that feedback. It's almost uh, more delicious in person. (laughs) Our next piece of feedback comes in response to a discussion about wedding seating plans. Dear Awesome Etiquette, I just had to write in after episode 140. I have a story for you about wedding reception seating. There were only about 40 people at my wedding reception, and the small room held five round tables of eight seats each. We thought, in quotations, we had decided with our parents that we would reserve one table for them and us, plus our maid of honor and best man. When we arrived at the reception, the entire room stood up and applauded us. I grabbed my husband's hand, beamed at him, and gave him a kiss. Then, as the applause died down, my smile became fixed and my hand a death grip. Our seats were gone. Other family members had joined our parents at the reserved table, and it was full. We awkwardly stood there for a moment. The room seemed to hold its breath to see what we would do. Then I noticed there were two more seats in the room. By sheer luck, those last two seats were at a table of close friends. Everyone else in the room was a family member. So we got to spend our reception dinner with the people we had chosen to bring into our lives, some of whom we had not seen for years. All's well that ends well, but if I could change anything about my wedding, I would have added place cards. Sincerely, Erica. Erica, you paint a a real picture. I've been to a couple weddings where that entry is so spectacular and there is that grand applause and I can't imagine standing at the center of that room at the center of everyone's attention and all of a sudden realizing that I didn't know where to go. And we're so glad it all worked out really well for you and that you did have those two seats with your good friends throughout the reception. Thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please do keep them coming. You can send your next comment or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or... Leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. It's time for our Postscript segment, where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today's Postscript is going to be offered by, again, my dear mother, Cindy Post-Senning. We have an SME, a subject matter expert in the house, particularly on children's etiquette and 
Emily Post. So I thought I would turn the section over to you today. Please take us away. I know as I listen to this podcast that Dan sometimes reads from Emily Post's and listens to her words. So I wanted to read from her book, Children Are People, which is a book she wrote in 1940. And there's a section in it that I refer to once in a while that I particularly like because it has to do with our third principle that we didn't really talk much about today, but that's honesty. And when I think about how Emily looked at the issue of honesty, she actually focuses on it as truth. And she has a description of how she likes to talk about truth to young children. And I thought I would read that to you. Being faced long ago with exactly this problem of how to explain that the motive behind an evasion of truth was what made it forgivable or altogether bad, this is the idea that came to mind. Truth, it seemed to me, was a never extinguished pure white light and all around its own white brilliance were the rings of the colors of the rainbow. These colors, which were transparent and through which the light of truth clearly shone, represented all the lovely impulses of tact, thoughtful kindness, protection, appreciation, generosity, and mercy. Beyond these rings of color was a wide aura of light like the glow of sunset. This was the land of fairy tales, the land of make-believe. Beyond all this color, as far as possible from the truth, was the pitch blackness of a willful lie." I just thought that was a lovely description of truth, thinking of it as light with the pure truth, the central element of light in the middle of this kind of orb expanding outwards through all the different ways we think of truth and trying to be good with people. We talk about finding the positive truth, and if you read farther on into this chapter, Emily actually talks about that. She talks about how to deal with the issue of when you don't like the coat your best friend is wearing, what can you say, and some things like that. So not to hurt their feelings. The other thing I wanted to say was when I pulled this book off of my shelf, I hadn't even been sure I had a copy of Children Are People. And I found a book, Children Are People, with this inscription in the front cover. To William Godby Post, from Emily Post. This first copy of the first edition goes to you, my dearest, with all my love, Grandmama. New York, November 18th, 1940. And the dedication in this book is to Billy, which is what Grandmama always called my father, her grandson, Billy. I, I'm a little bit speechless over here. I, You showed me that inscription this morning, and I absolutely couldn't believe it. I said, you have to share that with our audience, that, that this is the first copy of the first edition yes. dedicated to her grandson, and she signs yes. it to him. As I won't say only Emily can because lots of people are good at these things, but she was particularly good at it. She really could turn a phrase. We talk about that on this show, and I love the passage that you chose from this book, this idea of the rainbow of truth and the pure white truth at the center. We, we do acknowledge how good a writer she was, and that is a very good example of it, her development of metaphor as well as how she – how she uses the English language is really remarkable. And I love it. I can see why it's one of your favorites. Yeah. So, Dan, it's been a great pleasure for me to be here with you again this morning. I've enjoyed it thoroughly, and thank you for inviting me to join you. Well, thank you for being here. But we're not done yet. Oh, my gosh. We still have a salute, don't we? Yes. Well, there's what part of my salute. <laughs> my salute is to you and Lizzie for the fine job that you do sharing etiquette with all of your listeners. I think it's awesome. Well, 
I, I certainly appreciate it. And as I started off the show saying, I'm really appreciating my cousin Lizzie and the good work that she does. And I'm appreciating the family that we have around us that supports us. And we do like to end our show on a high note. And we turn to all of you out there to help with that because we count on you to share with us the good etiquette that you're seeing and experiencing out in the world. And it can come in so many forms. But today we're going to stick with a theme that emerged around vacationing and vacation homes. And our salute begins. I wanted to let you know about a special thank you I received recently. My husband and I offered our beach house to the extended family of a newly married relative for a summer getaway. Sure enough, not long after they returned home, I received the nicest thank you gift in the mail. It was such a thoughtful gesture and delivered in such a timely fashion. I know this is not unexpected, and yet it struck me anyway. Sometimes it is the little things that make you feel good and appreciated. I find myself wanting to thank them for their thank you gift. I know it's not a big deal, but it felt like one to me when it arrived, and I want to share that good feeling. Nice. I really like this salute. I thought it was um, appropriate for today's show. Excellent. So thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something. You can send us questions, comments, and salutes by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. By phone, you can leave us a message at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, I'm at Daniel underscore Post. And my usual guest host is at Lizzie A. Post. That's Lizzie with an I-E. On Facebook, we're Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Help us out. Subscribe on iTunes and leave us a review. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine. And as my Uncle Billy taught us to say, thank you, Chris. Thank you, Chris. Just remember your manners. Be polite. And above all, be considerate of others.